I can't tell you the number of times that I have stood up in front of our audience here and I have thought, I really hope Ben hasn't already said something earlier in the service that might be what I'm going to talk about. But that usually happens in the building. But I'll just be real honest with you. Now Ben is sharing things on Facebook that is what I'm going to teach about later that night. I just feel like we've got to slow Ben down just a little bit. Maybe, you know, from Sunday to Wednesday, Ben's not allowed to talk. He's not allowed to share. You've got to keep him quiet. But this morning, I was looking on Facebook, and I see Ben share something about Jesus healing the paralytic. And I was like, good grief, Ben. That is literally word for word what we're talking about right here tonight. So you know how Ben will do that from time to time. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with him. But, uh, but anyway... Um, if you've already, if you're friends with Ben on Facebook, I guess go home. You've already heard the story here uh, tonight. But um, we're continuing with our talk about uh, miracles uh, that Jesus uh, performed. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 tonight. So if you want to go on to Luke chapter 5, um, that's where our uh, main bulk of this will be. We've been talking about these different miracles, and I've kind of failed to mention this, and maybe I should, but almost all of these miracles that we talk about uh, will be in, well, they're all in at least one book. Many of them are in two books. It's not quite as often that they're in three, although they're in some. And then the book that we see the fewest amount of miracles in, does anybody want to know what, guess what it is? I know it's in John. John is the fewest, but there's a reason for that. Uh, John's storytelling, if that's the way you want to describe it, is very different from the other uh, three. Uh, a lot of times you see uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke referred to as synoptic gospels. Uh, John uh, is not so much that. Synoptic means synopsis, giving sort of an overview of things. John doesn't start in the same place. Uh, and John is more of a sort of glowing biography of Jesus more than anything else. Uh, it's almost as if um, the, the other stuff doesn't really matter. Um, I have something sort of prepared uh, from what I, or not prepared, but something mentally in my head from what Alan was talking about a couple of weeks ago when he was here and how the, in the book of Mark, it's almost like what, what's being told. It's like you can't get it out quick enough. And so I, I've got something sort of prepped for that or it started at least mentally prepping uh, for that. But tonight, this is our seventh miracle. Like we've said, we're going in a chronological order uh, and we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 5 uh, here this evening. But tonight, we're talking about the paralyzed man or the paralytic. I don't know how you would... Uh, refer to it uh, at that. But last week, uh, we, we talked a lot about leprosy, and I not played scientist for the week. Well, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about houses, and I'm going to play construction man for, uh, for, for a week. And I think the fact that I said play construction man tells you all you need to know about how prepared I am to give you everything right here. You know, just, you're going to be you know, hiring me to come put a roof on the house before it's all said and done, I would imagine. I, uh, that's how that would be. But anyway, at the time of Jesus, houses in Palestine, where they were, sort of consisted of one or two stories. This is standard homes. We have different size houses today, but even most of us, most of our homes, we could describe them, and they would be pretty similar to each other. But you can drive down a neighborhood or drive down a road, and most of us of a certain age can point out probably when that house was built. You can look and see when a house was, if it was built in the 1960s or if it was built in the 1990s, 
Or maybe if it had been built at the turn of the century. There's styles that go through. But the ability to have a style is in many ways reflective of the materials that was present there. When you think about it, or if you go to other parts of the country in the United States, the houses look different in different places. The, the reason they look different is because houses are built with the material that's there close. And getting to bring material from all the way around the world, what's it going to do to the price of it? It's, it's going to be impossible to build. And so the style sort of goes with that. We're going to talk a little bit about houses in Palestine, or what we would call Israel uh, today. They're typically two, one or two stories, generally square or rectangular. Why would you build a house square or rectangular? It's easier, okay. It's a lot easier to do it that way. Smaller houses, those of the poor, might have one or two rooms, and the people and the animals would share space. You are looking at an overhead view of a smaller house in Palestine. In a sense, we took the roof off. And so this A side here would be the family side, where they would live. This B side would be where animals would be. As you can see here, there's a door here and there's a door here. I don't know how you kept the others, uh, you kept the animals out of where the people would be. You probably didn't. And even if you kept them out, the smell would have probably been there as well. You'll notice, though, what is missing. How many of you have seen a floor plan or maybe designed or looked at a floor plan? It'll show the bedrooms and the kitchen and the living room. It'll show where the bathroom is, where the toilet and the shower is. What is not shown here? Nothing. Nothing showing right here. It's just kind of, here's where it is. The reason why nothing is showing is that's where it was. You slept and you ate and you ate everything right there in this spot. This, I can't, I can't necessarily match with the 100% effectiveness of the, or the, the, the truth of this picture, but I think it works pretty well for what we're going to do. This would be the house. We'll talk in a minute about steps that went up to the top, which was fairly common. Um, but this is almost as if the walls have been uh, sort of taken out. So what you have here is your entrance. This would have been where the animals are. This is water, this is food. And you would step up into the, the, the house or the family, uh, as you can see right there. So just an idea of what this is. Certainly not anything fancy, but this would have been the house that honestly most of us would have lived in had we lived there at the time uh, in, in Palestine. Thoughts on this house beforehand, yeah. Safety, I would imagine. Safety. I, I would imagine it would be. Their life savings, right? Yeah, that, that's their money in many ways, and so the, and, and probably it was it was safety for the animals, but it, like you said, their their livelihood, but it was also still. Sure, absolutely, and, and so yeah. that, that you would have uh, that, uh, that that sort of look. Other thoughts on the house here. I just know that whenever you take, Jimmy knows this better than anybody, when you take the cats away and sell them, Jimmy, what's the cows do? They move them crazy. Oh. You know, I can just imagine on there, you know, you sold the baby calf and, the, you know, what you have to do and right. the cow falls off. That would be tough sleeping for an air, too. That is, that, that's true. That's true. All right. So we're talking about this paralyzed man, but this is the larger houses, and I probably should have blown that up a little bit, but in the larger houses, the door would have opened from the street into an area called porch, and the porch would have been opened into a courtyard. In a sense, what we're saying here is this is what a bigger house is going to have more stuff in it than a smaller house 
uh, would have in it. You'll see that a little bit right here. You had covered walkways or what was called a gallery with doors that opened into other rooms. So in a sense, this sort of area right here might even be like an outside uh, area. It's almost like the, the house surrounded it uh, there. You had stairways that led from the courtyard to the porch and up to the roof. Roofs were generally flat from what, we saw, from what I see. Uh, they were used for storage, which makes sense. They lived, in, they lived in an area, they didn't live where we live. Would you want to put stuff on your roof here? Well, well, I mean, there's times of the year that it might be okay, but the reality is a lot of the year that would be terrible. And apparently what now we live in is just the windiest place in the history of the world. <laughs> Anything you put is going to blow. We can't keep the shingles on, much less stuff stored on top of it. But those kinds of things... That's not what they had there. They were using it for storage. It was flat. It was a place, like, almost like we would use an attic for, for drying flats, a place to go to get a little peace and quiet, a place to go to get a breeze. Can you think of an example of somebody on a roof catching a breeze in the Old Testament? David Bathsheba. That story makes a lot more sense when you look at the construction of the house. I mean, you know, we don't think about that, but that's a relevant point to what happens within that story. Sometimes the guests slept on the roof, uh, and sometimes that, that was designed so that you didn't have to interfere with everybody else. You kind of went up uh, through the side. This gives you an idea. You can see the room, court, porch, stairs, etc. But this is maybe a better picture of what it would look like. As you can see here, it's been sort of cut away. You've got this upper part. You got animals here. That's not a zebra, but it kind of looks like one. Um, but then uh, these are not steps, but rather a ladder that leads up to what's like a covered porch. This is a nice house from that area. This would not have been the house that most people would have had. Most people would have had something uh, similar to the other uh, to the other side. It gets me thinking, though. We we think about like we often refer to Jesus. Jesus' father being a carpenter, it's quite likely that Jesus would have done some work in homes sort of like this. Maybe help build homes. I don't know uh, necessarily, but this is what it might would have, uh, might have had an idea of what it would have looked like there at the time. So I wanted us to see that, and I wanted us to see more than anything this concept of a flat roof or a roof that you could move things through, Okay. Uh, a few years back, the neighbors, uh, the people that lived across the street from us, their house burned. One of the first things that the fire department did was they went and cut a hole in the roof. Why did they cut a hole in the roof? Get to the fire. To get to the fire. Why else? Shoot the water in there. Shoot the water in there. We get some smoke out of it. It allows that because otherwise it's going to sit in there. I mean, you want that smoke to go away because you don't want that fire to sort of build on itself, that oxygen. Uh, that would be there. But I remember when I was little, and we would have this story in class, and, and you'll hear it in just a minute, but I always thought, like, they cut a hole in the roof? Because I'm thinking about the house that we live with a slope or a pitched roof, and thinking, like, man, I'd say if we cut a hole in the roof, that would be really mad that what had us for doing that, you know? That would not have went over real well. So I want you to think about that here as we go through this. In this miracle, uh, the, the man that we're going to talk about, he was paralyzed. The Bible says sick with paralysis, uh, I think. Uh, but he was carried on his bed by four men to Jesus. Now, again, another thing that sort of messed with me when I was little was like they carried his whole bed. Well, the idea of a bed was more like a cot. But he was carried up to the top of this home. He was carried up to the top of this home because they were unable to get into the house due to the crowd. So let's think about the last six miracles that we're talking about. 
What has Jesus said at the end of nearly every one of these miracles? Don't tell anybody. Okay? And what did they almost always do? They went and told. But whether they told or not, Jesus is obviously built a name, built a name of some kind for himself. To the point where there's people carrying a man on a, on a cot, on a litter, uh, on a bed, whatever you want to call it, and they can't get to where he is. Think about if you went to a UK basketball game and you carried somebody that was on something like this. How close could you get to the floor? Be difficult, right? Part of the reason was is there's 24,000 other people that's there. Well, there's a lot of people here, and so they couldn't get to where Jesus was. Why do you think they would want to get to where Jesus was? We're going to deal with that in a second. So they carried him to the roof, uncovered the roof, let the man's down into into the presence of Jesus. Now, when we think about uncovering the roof, well, that sounds horrible to us today. You know, we've got all these pieces uh, that are there. But that was not what it was then, because it was typically made of light beams that laid across walls. Because you could move those around if necessary. It also had the space between filled what I see with branches, rushes, reeds, earth, something like that. Something that would keep the weather out. But they also lived in an area that was fairly warm during the summer, and you needed something that would allow a little bit in. So if you took some branches off, lowered the man in, you're not really disrupting the house and the integrity of the structure very much. That could be uncovered, cause a little damage, and be easily repaired. So I wanted us to sort of see, first of all, what a home or a house would have been like at the time. Before we get into the story, any other thoughts on housing in Palestine you know, in the first century? Would you want to live in a house where the roof could be removed? No doubt. Might depend on the situation, though. Might depend on where you live. I know mom and dad, when they were in Hawaii, they were talking about how that when you went to, like, you drove past a school or something, it was just all open. You just kind of walked in and out uh, there because the weather allowed for it. You couldn't really do it right here. <clears throat> this is a picture. Uh, I like to find these we talked about before. But it's, uh, this is a baptistry mural that was found uh, in Syria. There's like nine different pictures was from this house. It's called the Dura Europus House in Syria. It's thought to date from about the mid-third century, so it's about 1,700 years old, this picture is. And it's considered the oldest artistic representation of any miracle of Jesus. It's the oldest picture that's ever been or painting or whatever uh it would might be you can go see this if you're ever in new haven connecticut and want to go by the yale university art gallery you can see that right there i'm fascinated that something can be that old and still be seen it's a little hard to tell i knew it would be but this is jesus and this is a man carrying a uh carrying a bed it's a little hard but it's on like a slab uh, there. If you turn around and look on the picture on the back, you might be able to see it uh, a little bit better uh, back there. So yeah, I made y'all just turn around and look. That screen is way better than the one oh, uh, up here. So. Alright, so let's get into our story here just a little bit. This is Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start with not the entirety of it, but we're only going to read a few verses of it here to start with. So this is Luke 5, 17 through 20. Luke 5, 17 through 20. Mary, do you care to read Luke 5, 17 through 20?
and the power of the Lord is Christ's healing. And then behold, men uh, brought on a man, or a bed, excuse me, brought on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought out, or sought to bring in, and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the house and let him down with his bed, for he was hiding into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, now, we're going to go a little further, but I, I stop here for a reason because I want to look at a couple of things uh, here before we go any further. First of all, we've talked about all of these people sort of following Jesus. So the first verse there, chapter 5, verse 17, who was present that day? If you look in that verse, who all is there in the, in the crowd, in the audience? Okay, Pharisees, teachers of the law, but not just like one or two. It says there in verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law from where? It said from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem. It said uh, who had come out of every town. What do you think they mean there when they say out of every town? They're all, everybody's there. Okay, the way we would say, man, there were people there, you know, there were people there from everywhere kind of thing. Well, this is the first time that we've really seen this in a miracle. Who has been the crowd at the first six miracles or so? The apostles, the, the followers, whoever the miracle was performed to or for, whatever they say, but kind of just the standard citizens of the community. Why do you think then that these folks or now we're starting to see in verse 17, why are the Pharisees and the community leaders there? Because the word is spread. The word is spread. To this point, it's been sort of, you know, what are those crazy people down there doing, those poor folks, whatever. But now it's kind of becoming a bigger thing. So you start to see more people, Pharisees, teachers, these folks from, as it said, every town, Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. That's a fairly large area that it's covered. So this is not like me. You know, going from here to Crab Orchard, this is maybe going to Lexington or to Louisville or to somewhere a little bit farther away. Now, we already know this. I know you already know the answer, but I want to just get it on record here. Who was brought to Jesus? So we have this man who was in a bed, who was paralyzed, and they sought to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So they looked to bring him in, but he couldn't do it. So how do they get him into Jesus? presence up on the roof right up on the roof and lower him down into it so as i was preparing this i wanted you to think for a second what if you were in the crowd maybe have what we would call a good seat well if you're in the first row of the concert you don't really know what's going on in the 25th row and you don't really care right you've got the good seats but what do you think you would have thought had you been there and all of a sudden the roof sort of opens up and somebody gets dropped in? What's going through your head when you see that? Aggravated. Aggravated, all right. Like what in the world's going on? What in the world's... Lucille, that stuff probably falling down on your hair. You and all fits when you die. But so when you're there, that would have to me almost been... Sort of an over-the-top thing. Like, there's somebody being lowered down into this, in this building. Yes? When I was young, it's Ken, or Johnny Rear has been my favorite. Okay. Beatles since 1966. Then we went to 
something you'll do everything that you can and this guy and the people that were with him there was clearly a desire uh to, to get him there okay so we've got the stage set yes Yeah, I, I have no idea. I can't, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm pretty knowledgeable on construction practices in Palestine in the first century, but I can't speak with authenticity to what you're saying right there. Virgil. I said evidently they believed that Jesus, they knew that Jesus could heal them or they wouldn't want to be And they were willing to sort of go the extra mile to do that as well. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I want to look then here because uh, we read this. Mary read this just a second ago, but Luke chapter five and verse twenty. What did Jesus tell the man whenever he saw him? I need to. We need to look specifically at verse twenty. What does Jesus say? He said, your sin, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay? Now, I, I wanted us to think about that because if you paid attention to the scripture reading earlier, the scripture reading had nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. But it was from John chapter, uh, John chapter 9, uh, specifically verse 2. Jews believed that disease and illness were caused by sin. We still sometimes want to fall into that ourselves, right? When people have something go wrong or people get sick or something happens, like, uh, you know, they shouldn't have been acting bad or whatever. There's religious ideas that sort of go with that, like this, the karmic ideas and all of that. But in John chapter 9 and verse 2, the disciples, not this was not like somebody who was trying to, to, to trick Jesus. They asked him, they said, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he was born blind. Well, somebody who was born blind, that's going to complicate their life. And so they want to know who made the mistake here. Who sinned? Who did wrong? Was it the parents? Because without the parents, there's no kid. Or was it this thing? How did Jesus respond to that in John chapter 9 in verse 3 and 4? We have a hard time with that sometimes, right? Because we want to know, like, what's the reason? What caused this? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He said, nobody did anything wrong. That just happens. Do you know anybody that's blind? 
I had a student 10 or 12 years ago who was blind. He did everything about like everybody else did uh, in the classroom, but he was born blind. Or I don't know if he was born blind, but he was blind almost from, uh, from his birth um, th- there. But Jesus said that it was nobody's fault, but it's going to provide an opportunity for God to do a little work there, right? And so Jesus says that uh, in John chapter 9, verse 2. But that sort of answers that question about Jesus, first of all, saying, man, your sins are forgiven, okay? So he forgives his sins. But as we go on further, we're going to see how the Pharisees viewed that statement. Because what did Jesus not say in verse 20? He, he does not say in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, you're healed. He doesn't say stand up, walk, throw that down. He doesn't say any of that. He says, your sins are forgiven of you. Now let's go further with the story. Luke chapter 5, yes. To me, if I'm in the audience and I don't have much knowledge about a lot of things, I would think that's got to be the dumbest statement that ever was. What sins forgive you have to do with paralysis. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If, 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 you know, if the doctor came in and you're paralyzed, he said, well, Shelby, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about the paralysis doctor, you know. You know, you know. I, 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 I do know. It's, it's all right here. Yeah, I absolutely do know. Ben, stop talking. All right. So Luke chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 then right here. Uh, Mel, do you care to read that? Yeah. And the scribes and the priests and the priests would say, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins for God alone? But when Jesus perceived the thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning? Probably the most understated line that's ever been written was that. We'll get to that in a second. What the scribes and the Pharisees accuse Jesus of? They accuse him of blasphemy. What, what, is that, what does that word mean? Blasphemy is to speak against God. And hear Jesus say, they think Jesus, basically Jesus is claiming to be God. Yeah. It's only God can hear This is the first time we sort of see this in Jesus' miracles. Because it's the first time that we've had people that would have really been willing to make that argument. Most of the people were hoping to get fed by Jesus or were hoping to be healed by Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, these people that were there, were now leaders. They were religious leaders. They were losing a little bit of ground here in this race that who has the power, if you want to think about it that way. And so they accuse him of this, uh, they accuse him of blasphemy. Only God has been said there, only God could forgive sins. And now Jesus is claiming to be able to forgive sins. Again, we're not healing. We're looking at verse 20 when he said, man, what? What does he say in verse 20? You're what? Your sins are forgiven. It almost seems like if Jesus had said, man, set up, walk, they'd be like, that's that's something else. But that your sins are forgiven, or or it was a little different. It's kind of of funny coming from them. Yeah. The Pharisees took the offerings and made the sacrifices to forgive your sins. Uh-huh. So for them to say only God forgives sins, they're basically saying, look, that's her Right. Forgiving your sins. You shouldn't be in the world how to do that. Absolutely. 
So the Bible uses the word perceive, so I use it right here as well. But in Luke 5, 22 and 23, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, basically what Jesus is doing is he's kind of, he's kind of reading their minds. I know what you're really saying, as it were, right here. What does he tell them in verses 22 and 23? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? So he poses this question to, those, to, to the folks. He, he poses this question. He says, which one is easier to say? Remember that. <clears throat> so in order that those present would know that he had power to forgive sins, what does Jesus then say to the paralyzed man in verse 24? He tells him then to rise up. So sins forgiven first, right? Healed of whatever the ailment would be second. Healed of the ailment second. Okay? And here is the reason why the early church was given the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. For that very sense, verse 24, that you may know the Son of Man has power mm-hmm. to forgive sins. So let's think about this for just a second. And, and I agree, uh, I like what Ben said right there. To the Pharisees, to start with, to the Pharisees, it appeared that Jesus was blasphemous of God when he told the man his sins were forgiven. Because to them, only God had the ability to forgive sins. And like Ben, you were saying there a minute ago, they had the ability to sort of roll it forward, to push it forward for another year, but they didn't have the ability to forgive. Only God could forgive sins. Yes? Uh, to uh, kind of start with the Pharisees just a bit, they know who Jesus is. Uh-huh. They know where he was raised. They know his brothers. They know his mother. Mm-hmm. They probably knew his dad. He may be dead at this time. They know all this stuff. This guy here, you from Nazareth are telling me that you could, you know, you're starting that is blasphemy, okay? Mm-hmm. Like if I said it right now, it's blasphemy. If you said it, it's blasphemy. Ben said it's blasphemy. And that I know that I have known Ben his whole life, I've known you your whole uh, that's blasphemy. And so I can kind of see where they're coming from, you know. But he was also in the temple at 12, yeah. sort of, pre, you know, and that has sort of maybe been forgotten there a little. I want to look at the last two things right here on this screen. Jesus didn't ask what was easier to do, forgive sins or heal the sick. That's not what he asked. He asked which was what? Is there a difference in that? What's the difference in saying and doing? You don't need sayers. No need doers. Which one do you think there's more of? Probably more sayers than doers. And so Jesus didn't ask what was easier to do. He said, which was easier to say? Forgive the sins or heal the sick. Okay? I see a lot of people say that they can dump their basketball, and they clearly say it loud. Right. Right. When you come down to it, let's go do it then. And they can't. Now, I'm one of those people, you know, I didn't even say I could do it. Jimmy, you're probably the only person in here who could dump a basketball, right? <laughs> Not no more. No. <laughs> So if you'd been here 40 years ago, maybe you could have seen, uh, you might have seen the Jimmy. I'd say me and you probably, we never, we never could do that. Maybe on a low go with the trampoline, we might have been able to do it now. So to prove to the people present that as the Son of God, he had this power, this authority, Jesus then heals the man. That's the second thing that happens. The first thing is he forgives sin, second, heals the man. People couldn't see that the man's sins were forgiven, Right? When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, well, he might have, he could have easily just said, you know, I don't know, I can't make an example right there. But that's not something that physically you could see, right? But they could see that he was healed and he was able 
to walk again. That'd be kind of like a faith here that you see on TV. Somebody comes in and says, well, I've got pain in my back. Uh-huh. But you can't see that pain in the back. You can't see that that's hurt. You don't know if they're lying or telling the truth. Absolutely. You'd be the same way with that saying that your sins are forgiven. Sure. So only somebody that had the power of God could do both, right? Could forgive sins and could heal. And I'm sure the man went simply to be healed. Yes. With probably the sins being forgiven may not even been thought. So I posed this question to you there at the bottom. Which one was more important? Walking again or having his sins forgiven? What do you think that man's answer was when they were dropping him through the roof? Walking again. Yeah, absolutely was, right? That's why he went. It's almost a given that that's part of the reason why he went. Now, they had, there was clearly some faith there. We'll talk about that in a second. But he went to hopefully be able to be healed because he's heard that other people have been healed or had other sort of miracles done or whatever it might be. But which one does Jesus do first for has those sins forgiven. What does the man do in Luke chapter 5 and verse 25? If we look at verse 25, he took up, he picked up the bed that he'd been laying on, which I don't know, I, I, I thought that was, you know, he carried it in, or they carried him in, he's going to carry it out right there. But he's not going to leave it laying there, he carries that out. But go to the end of verse 25. He didn't just walk out away. What does it say at the end of verse 25? He went away glorifying God. We don't see Jesus tell him not to tell him. Why do you think Jesus doesn't put that sentence on this one? Man, this was this was probably a little too much, right? Now everybody was there was a crowd there. All the people that were high-ranking officials saw it. First of all, you know the guy can't walk, and now he's walking around. So it's going to be hard to keep this a secret, as it were. I like this last verse, verse twenty-six that we read. What's the reaction of the people? We have seen. I don't look at that verse, verse twenty-six, and look at the quote from the people right there. How would you say that if you were in a play? If you were acting in a play, how would you deliver that line in verse twenty-six? We have seen. Do you say it with amazement? Do you yell it? Do you say? I don't know how you would utter that line, but I think we can all understand what that line sort of meant there, right? Like, this is, this is something else, right? Thoughts on what they've seen. try to do each week. Number one, sometimes we're the paralyzed man, right? You know, the paralyzed man here, he knew that he could not get to Jesus on his own. He just couldn't do it. There was no way that he could get to Jesus. It would require Jesus coming to him or somebody hauling him into it. He could not literally walk from point A to point B to get there. That was not possible. The crowd was too big. His legs couldn't do it. Many times we might admit defeat, right? 
Is it realistic to think that this guy would have said, I just, I can't get there. I can't get there. I can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. But, there, but you're right there. You can imagine, though, how desperate was this man to, to get there? Well, I don't know how long he's been unable to walk, but I feel like being unable to walk for 10 minutes would be long enough for me to want to get that, you know, to, to, to get that fixed. And so all of us are not paralyzed. That's not a right word. But all of us have moments of weakness and desperation, right, where we need a little help, right, where we need a little, it might be physical, might be emotional, might be mental, might be spiritual, but there's some kind of pain that infects all of us at some point, right? Well, when that happens, we need somebody to carry us to Jesus. We're talking with figurative language right here. But somebody to carry us. Sometimes we're not strong enough to get there. We're not strong enough to be able to get to Jesus on our own. Is somebody there to help us? Well, hopefully so. Because the second lesson, sometimes we're the friends. And sometimes it might not be us. Those friends didn't, clearly didn't have any trouble walking. They climbed up steps to the top of a roof. They tore off the parts of the roof and lowered the... If anything, those men were clearly physically fit enough to be able to do all that. They did not need the healing of the legs like their friend did. But they also believed that Jesus was capable of doing it. And they cared enough about the person that they were with and also had enough faith in Jesus that he could do it that they said, we're going to climb to the top of the roof. We're going to rip away the brush. We're going to rip away. We're going to lower you down in there. And we're just going to see what happens. I'm putting words in their mouth. But you can imagine them thinking that. Let's see what happens right here. They didn't stand by and wait for the... What if they had got there and said, oh, man, 25th row. We'll come back tomorrow. They could have. Yeah. David Gates in Lancaster uh, wanted to be baptized, but he had MS so bad. But we went to the hospital and we got a, somebody did and got a board and four of us baptized him. Uh-huh. He knew he said good He knew we weren't going to hurt him or drown him or anything uh-huh. like that. But four of us went in the baptistry with David and baptized him. Uh-huh. Okay. We were his friends. We was whatever it took to get that young man baptized. Right. We would do it. And that's what good friends do. That's what these boys did with this parallel. I don't care what it takes. We're not going to be deterred. We're not going to miss out. This is the chance that this man can be healed. And, and sometimes a paralyzed man is a person that's paralyzed with fever going forward to be baptized. Sure. And, uh, we have to sometimes say, I don't care if I have to carry you up there. Yep. We're going to baptize you. You know, because you, you have to have this. This mm-hmm. is this, this So... I think we would all agree that these were some good friends. Then, in the example you gave, that as well, they didn't give up when their friend needed when their friend needed help. Neither should we, right? So sometimes we're the one that is weak and needs help. But have you ever known somebody else who was in that situation who was weak or needed help? It might not be needed baptized. It might just be going through difficult times. We might need to be that friend that picks them up, carries them up to the top of the roof, takes them wherever it needs to go, wherever that place to be. So you see, we can be one or the other. But no matter the hard times, God can use us, right? No, Because who had hard times in this story? Paralytic. Paralytic. But who else had hard times? The friends. They had to work extra hard to get... Like, 
We can be used in both ways. God can use us here no matter what. The only thing is, is that where the hurt is, where the weakness is, we take that to Him and we put the faith there in it. Okay? We put that faith there that that can be healed, that that can be fixed. But more importantly, we realize what Jesus said to the man first. Sins forgiven first. Healing second. Because there are people that we know that could use some physical healing, but their spiritual shape is perfect. And that's the one that, worry, that works, that matters the most, right? That's the one that matters the most. We, we talk a lot, we use the example of Paul and the thorn of flesh, right? But Jesus said, you know, that grace is sufficient, but you, you can handle, you might have to handle this. And sometimes we might have to handle some ailments that come our way. It's not like they ask him in John chapter 9 and verse 2, it's not that we've done anything wrong, sometimes you have a hard time. Sometimes you get cancer. Sometimes you have those kind of ailments. Sometimes bad things happen. That just happens. And we have to learn to deal with it. It's not because we've sinned or they've sinned or anything like that. But no matter what those hard times are, let God use us in that. That's what we have to think about. Whatever the case might be. With everyone, every single one of us here had friends or know someone who will not come into the presence of Jesus, will not know Jesus unless we get busy, pick up the corner of that bed and carry them whether that's inviting the church or doing things for them or telling them things or praying for whatever it is. Unless we pick up that corner and carry it, their devil will never know Jesus. Absolutely. And sadly, a lot of times we just tell him to pick up that corner. Mm-hmm. Thoughts before we go. We sit. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, whatever the trouble or trauma or distress is getting to Jesus, it's worth it. There's people right now that will spend eternity. They lay up this world. They will spend eternity in heaven with God. And it's all because it, it was trouble. It was traumatic. It was difficult. But they made it home. And that's all that matters. Is you make it to heaven. Nothing else matters. The next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at some more sort of physical ailments that Jesus healed. And so we'll, uh, we'll address that uh, the next couple of times. But we'll stop here. Thank you all for... Uh, for, for, for your comments and everything else.